0: Unorthodox with the Angry Behavior Analyst is a relief valve for stifled thoughts, theories, and opinions related to social science. Unorthodox is unfiltered, uncensored, and most importantly, uncancelable. The Angry Behavior Analyst is all triggers, no warnings. All right, guys, welcome back this week. I have a really exciting guest who reached out to me. And has a really interesting story, actually, about her history with not only being a BCBA, but being recently diagnosed with autism and her experience within this whole neurodivergent, neurodiversity, neurodivergence movement, kind of where she stands now. And I just have a whole arsenal of questions for her. So Haley, welcome to Unorthodox.
1: Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Of course. Thank you for reaching out. I'm so excited. I want to know, Haley, when did you start listening to the podcast? I'm curious.
1: Well, so I've been following you on Instagram for... Just over a year or so now, probably, I would say. So, I remember when I was um, talking with you about you even starting the podcast. So, um, yeah, that's I, right. yeah, so I was like looking forward to the creation of it and everything. And I listened, I definitely listened to the first few episodes, and then I kind of like fall off my podcast wagon sometimes. Makes sense. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then like I um, listened again to some of your more recent episodes, and I was like, oh, yeah need to get back into this again <laughs> yeah but yeah, so since yeah. I won, really I've been listening
0: <laughs> that's great you know what Haley you actually came at a perfect time we just got off of a zoom call guys where we were kind of going through what we would talk about but I wanted to just go right for the jugular here Haley and ask you when and why you were diagnosed or you sought a diagnosis I should say
1: yeah, so I sought my diet. Well, so I was diagnosed in July of this year of 2022. Um and I probably started seeking my diagnosis early this year. It's I, the timeline is a little bit fuzzy. Um but basically it was kind of like um a cumulative pile of like a lot of stuff and I just was like I don't like my spoons and nothing that I have is working anymore. So basically, um, I had my first child in March of 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, Parenthood has been great, all the fun stuff. Um, I went back to work in November of 2021, after graduating and passing my BCBA exam between August and um, October, November. And I think that starting work as a BCBA at a new company with a child at home and all of that stuff just started to wear on me really, really quickly. And um, I, my mental health was just really struggling. And, you know, I will say I was partially a victim of the TikTok, you know, diagnoses trend, but not sure. in, um, it actually, it started as ADHD, is what I thought that I was going to be. And I did get diagnosed with both. But I first was just seeking the ADHD diagnosis because I, you know, I've worked, I've been working in the field of ABA as an RBT for a couple of years, and I had seen autism, I'd seen ADHD. And, um, you know, I had just seen those really typical young male presentations of it. And then mm-hmm. freaking TikTok was, you know, <laughs> showing me all of these like, female presentations of it, or, you know, like these more applicable adult day to day potential traits and symptoms and stuff like that. And yeah. then I started to just reflect and think about it more. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I've always been a huge interrupter and a loud talker and I talk for too long and like, you know, I'm easily distracted. And so I started kind of like, you know, going through all of these things for myself. And, um, you know, and I also once you know, so those were already kind of like in the back of my head. And then when all of the pressures of work and motherhood and everything started weighing on me, I started to realize um more kind of sensory issues for myself as well. Um, And like, I was getting very, very easily heightened by just like a lot of noise and stuff like that. Or um, like, you know, the, there's like the concept of being touched out when you're a mom. And so I've, I, that was the first time I'd ever heard that phrase because, you know, like, of course you can get touched out. Have you heard of that before? Being touched I haven't. Out? I was going to say, can you elaborate
0: on what that means?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I first heard of it through, like, mom Instagram, basically, but it's like, um, you know, when you have a newborn, especially, they mm. just want to be on mom all the time. They just mm. want, like, skin to skin. They just want to be held, like, and, you know, I, I, I like, I co-slept with my son. Like I did very, just like whatever felt natural and right to me, like that's what we did. And he contact napped like most of his first year and all of that stuff. So he was always very like attached and close to me and everything. And, um, when I first heard that phrase of like feeling touched out, I was like, Oh my God, this is so true. Like, and I had only, you know, really thought of that as it related to motherhood and stuff. And so, again like that was happening to me more easily and no wonder because i started working with kids all day and dealing with like challenging behaviors and all of these things and then i come home to my son and then there's more things and sure. so you know like i was like out of spoons as they would say and um <laughs> go ahead <laughs> yeah,
0: i i have heard and researched thoroughly spoon theory uh-huh and the I guess the the subset of people that are spoonies, I think, is what they call themselves. You can yeah. correct me if I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the,
0: the spoon theory, I want you to tell me if I have this wrong or if I have this right. My understanding of spoon theory is that if you look at your energy reserves, let's say, as a bunch of spoons, and if you are running low on spoons, that is... Um, that's representative of being low on energy that
1: you can allocate to things. So let me give you the metaphor that I like to use and that I kind of give to a lot of my clients to help them understand. So we're kind of bouncing around here. But yeah, so as I realized that, you know, I was thinking I had ADHD and stuff like that. um, Mm -hmm. Let me just like touch on this real quick. And then I'll get back to the the metaphor thing so yeah of course i um you know i first saw um um just like went to my doctor, I was still breastfeeding. So I knew that medication wasn't going to be an option for me at that time anyway. Um, mm-hmm. so I just started doing talk therapy. I was already on an uh, anti-anxiety that I had been on for a couple years. Um, so, you know, already pre-diagnosed with anxiety. Um, and then they started me on just an antidepressant cause they were like, you know, it's kind of could be postpartum stuff too, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Cause I was still within the first year of my son's life. Um, and so, yeah, that was when I was really like, okay, I think I'm thinking ADHD, all of this stuff. Um, but so what I like to say, because the spoon theory has never really made a lot of sense to me either, mm-hmm. but um, so I think of it as a battery. I think of it as my energy, my um you know, some like my therapist likes to call it like your emotional bandwidth, you could call it, you know,
0: but I think of it as
1: like, yeah, emotional bandwidth, or your like your battery, basically. And um, the way that I will explain it is, let's say that, like, neurotypical people, their battery is like, they wake up, it's at 100%, right? Like, there's, you know, they, there's not a lot of other stuff going on, they're good to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Neurodivergent people, especially because of the sensory issues that we tend to deal with, um, we might wake up and we might start at that 100%, but it might take us down to like 80% really fast because maybe we wake up and, like, ugh, sometimes I wake up and just, like, I just don't feel right when I wake up, you know? But then other times, like, maybe I wake up in a good mood, but then, like, I come downstairs and, like, my son's already screaming and there's, like, a high pitched cartoon on the TV or something, you know? And that's going to drain me a little bit. Like, and so. Right like it stuff stuff depletes my battery a little bit more quickly and easily. Um and so when my battery is running low, is it's I'm becoming more dysregulated, basically. So um like I you know, so basically, like, I can, you know, some sound and stuff might be going on, and that can drain my battery. And then, you know, maybe it's really bright, and that might drain my battery too, and all of these things. And the the kind of crucial thing is that, like, now I know these things, but I didn't at that time when I was in the throes of it, right? And so sure. I, I didn't know that, like, all of those sensory things were really piling on to me. And that was part of the thing that was dysregulating me so much. Mm-hmm. And I, I've lived my entire life thinking I was just a very angry person. Mm. Um, I, I thought that I had anger issues as a kid. Um, I thought that, you know, I've always been, you know, as we kind of touched on a little bit before we started recording, I was kind of like a self-proclaimed bitch, I guess, growing up in adolescence, <laughs> because that was just kind of what I was told. And I was like, well, I guess sure. that this is just who I am you know I had a very very abrasive personality like my whole life and god bless my husband that I met when I was 19 and mm-hmm. um well we met when I was 18 actually but we got together when I was 19 and he helped teach me a lot of people and social skills
0: <laughs> interesting um,
1: so about yeah. your really quick about your yeah. husband uh-huh. were there any
0: conversations the two of you had where he realized that you were abrasive or did he have a personality that was kind of complimentary to to having an abrasive um, personality
1: there were conversations. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> I also, and again, it's, it's so funny. Cause I now see all of these as like, you know, my autistic traits and stuff, but I've always been a big like conversation hogger and, um, you know, and I talk over people, I'm an interrupter, all of these things. And, um, so there were, and it, We just come from very, very different backgrounds in general. Like I grew up like single mom, you know, food stamps, multiple jobs, like all of that sort of stuff. He grew up very like nuclear family, parents Hmm. were business owners, like lived on the other side of town, all of that sort of stuff. Um, And so like and just like another caveat is like my whole family is undiagnosed neurodivergent. Like we're coming, like now that I've been diagnosed, like my mom and like, we're all, we get it now. But so also like all of my social quirks and like my, like, I guess, like lack of um, social skills in some ways, you know, we're just reinforced at home. Like Hmm. I, like my mom and I just, we, like we talk over each other until one of us is louder and winning like you know like and that's just the way it is in my whole family and people interrupt each other but because all of us kind of have some sort of ADHD or something we all are able to kind of like circle back to like whatever it is we're talking about as well and my husband's family is not like that at all and um so after the I remember like you know we had a couple different times where um you know we'd go over there and then one of like but maybe third or fourth time we're going over there or something. Um, he kind of like prefaces me by telling me, you know, like, hey, you have to let my family talk too. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what? I was like, what what do you mean? And he was like, well, you know, like, they're, like, they're excited to see you and everything. But like, you know, you have to, I was like, well, they're just, they're just asking me questions. So I'm just, I'm just answering them, you know, like, and he's like, well, yeah, but like, like, basically telling me, like, I have to leave space for other conversation to happen, because I was just constantly filling that space. And so I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know. And like his, like his family all is like very much more kind of like on that introverted side, you know, whereas I'm not. (laughs) And, um, and like none of my family really is. And so like, yeah, a lot of my social cues and rules and stuff like that, like I really learned from him and like him kind of being like, Hey, just so you know, like try to do this sort of thing, you know, or yeah. you know, this or that. And I didn't I always take know. it well. Like I didn't always receive it the best, you know, but mm-hmm. it definitely helped. <laughs> and well, you know I
0: I imagine, Haley, if your family, if and if you had grown up where, like you said, all of these cues were being reinforced and there was no awareness or, or do mm-hmm. you think that there there was no awareness?
1: There was no oh. awareness.
0: So without awareness and Mm -hmm. your lack of awareness is being reinforced by other Mm -hmm. people who also have a lack of awareness, I imagine it would feel like somewhat of an attack
1: to be corrected. Yeah, it definitely did. And it, I struggled with that kind of thought of like, is he trying to change my personality? You know, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, you know? And, um, I realized that like, that wasn't the case. Um, and you know, I also, um, I think part of what helped me realize that is you know I went through really my whole adolescence like middle school and high school um, offending people (laughs) on accident and like friendships even like I like I had a very close friendship that I like kind of almost ruined because I straight up just didn't realize my friend was depressed and Mm. she was like skipping classes and like dropping classes and again I something about like my autism like words don't carry like the same thing to me that they always do for everybody i guess and yeah. i remember just telling her i was like why what are you doing that's so dumb why are you dropping your classes like we're in advanced math that's so dumb why would you drop that da 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 like that's so stupid da 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 and she just like slowly kind of started like it was before ghosting was a term but that's really what she was doing you know she like stopped having lunch with me and we were like best of best friends and finally mm-hmm. i was like dude, what's going on? And she came over to my house one day and just kind of like broke down crying to me and was like, Haley, you're just so mean to me. And I was like, Ooh. what? And I was like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? I'm, I'm mean to you. And she was like, you are just mean. And it's hard to be around you. And like, you hurt my feelings. And it was just like this like sob fest. And I was just like, I had zero clue. Literally none. And I started sobbing, too. And I was like, I'm so, so sorry. I never would have meant to hurt you. Like, I didn't know. I didn't. Like, I had no idea. Like, I wasn't trying to call you stupid. And, of course, she was like, that's what she was taking it as, is that I was just calling her very dumb and stupid. And I was like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's not what I meant. (laughs) And I had, like, you know, that was probably one of the big ones for me, but I had multiple occurrences of that a lot growing up, like, through adolescence. And I realized as I was learning new things with Eric, those things started to stop happening so much. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, oh, maybe, maybe it's, it's like a change for the good, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) I... I have a
0: question. Actually, you know Mm -hmm. what? I'm going to pull up a a post that you shared with me because I'm curious how this relates to um, to your seeking a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Let me find it. So this post, I'm just going to read the quote. Mm -hmm. Are you actually autistic or are you just desperate for an answer? Mm -hmm. And as this relates to maybe spoon theory, because I imagine the spoon theory helps people feel some sort of belonging to some group. Yes yeah, or the spoon theory yeah. never really,
1: like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a spoonie or whatever the phrase is. I just know that that, like, terminology makes sense to a lot of people, you know? I honestly sure. usually say, like, my battery's running low, though, is what I would
0: say. Okay, so that post, and as mm-hmm. it relates to kind of you perusing through TikTok, let's say,
1: mm-hmm.
0: do you think, uh, what exactly were you looking for in a diagnosis? Right, so
1: um, when I was first so the whole um the whole perusing TikTok thing and the ADHD thing that really Those, like, thoughts of, like, huh, I wonder if I might have ADHD started before I was even pregnant, Um, and Mm -hmm. it was just really little things of, like, (laughs) I would notice cleaning my house that, like, I would start in the bedroom and, like, pick up some garbage and then try to move into, like, the kitchen, and then, like, I'm like, oh, crap, there's, like, foil on the stove that I left there, too, and I need to set these things down and pick up that foil, you know, just, like, all of those little distractibility things, and so I kind of had started thinking that for a bit um and then like i said after after birth and everything like i just felt like some of those traits that i felt like i was seeing in myself really were more exacerbated Mm exacerbated um but to be clear i have not been on tiktok in a long time like since probably my son was a year old i like i have a weird i can't do it i can't do it um so i get I get, i get sucked into it and then like it's uh i think that it's It's like, I have a hard time with transitions and I think it's almost part of like, because for me with TikTok, if you're not on it every day, you you're out of the loop, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not. And so, and I don't want to invest in being on it every day. And so I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just not fun for me, but I digress. Um, But, yeah, so as far as, like, trying to fit in, it definitely was not that I was trying to find, like, a label to fit in. It was more so that, like, I was – I honestly was seeking medication for help was my biggest thing because I I had kind of been anti-medication, like – until like I was finishing my undergraduate studies, honestly, even like through learning about some of the stuff like through that, but it really I realized had to do more with my upbringing. Again, I was like raised by a young mom, Gen X mom, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like we also never had health insurance growing up, so like mm. it, we just always kind of you know like self-treated, you know, like it wasn't sure. like or just wrote it out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so. I think that I saw medication as a weakness, like for a long time, I think. And then mm-hmm. um, when I I got diagnosed with anxiety, right, kind of at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, um, in mm-hmm. like spring of 2020, and um, I started taking Lexapro, and I was like, oh my god, you can you can live like this, like, yeah. <laughs> What? Like, I was so, like, just blown away. And I was like, this is a fucking joke. Like, I've been living my life this whole time. (laughs) Yes, thinking I'm so tough and gritty.
0: And here I am feeling amazing.
1: Stupid. (laughs) And so, you know, and I had worked with a lot of kiddos that, you know, had ADHD and were taking medication and, you know, were having a lot of help with it. And, you know, something that I kind of like learned through school and through my supervisors. And it's something that I preach to all the parents I work with is if I suspect that your child has an ADHD diagnosis, I'm going to urge you to go and get that checked out because there's not some like if. I cannot help something behaviorally that has something to do with a neurochemical imbalance. So I can't help your child's impulsivity if there's not something already trying to balance it in some way, or if he's getting, you know, unless he's getting other like ADHD help somewhere else, you know, but like Mm -hmm. there are, you know, there's certain limits with that, right? And so... I saw for you know for myself that's like kind of my same thought you know I'm like if I can have some sort of medication that can help me get through my day-to-day life better, that would be fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like I said, when I very first started talking to my doctor about it, I was still breastfeeding and I knew that I wouldn't be able to take any sort of stimulant medication. I knew that there were non-stimulant options as well. There's like a couple at least. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. So, like I said, we first started me on just some Wellbutrin to help with the mood and everything as well, because I was definitely feeling very depressed. Um, and after being on that for a couple months, I remember expressing to my doctor, doctor, I said, you know, I feel like the Wellbutrin helped a lot with my mood. I feel a lot more stable there now. But now I just feel like my ADHD, what I thought were just my ADHD traits were um, really exacerbated. And she asked, like, you know, what that what those were. And I said, you know, um, you know, definitely some of my issues with like disorganization and distractedness. And I was like, but also definitely like my sensory issues. And when I said that she kind of like was like, Ding, ding, let's get you a referral. And I was like, oh, because like literally up until that point, I was just like ADHD, baby, that's what I've got, you know, like, <laughs> that's what I thought. And um, I was just like, oh, okay. And so then I started thinking, like, are the sensory things not ADHD? Like, are those something else? But like, um, I don't know if you've gotten them, but those freaking loop earplugs that are like advertised to everybody on Instagram. I'm seeing them everywhere. They're a godsend. They got me through like pre-diagnosis, but I got to that because I, like I said, I always thought I was such an angry person and I didn't realize that it was just that my battery was constantly running at like 20%. And I got those loop earplugs because I was just constantly like so on alert. And I don't like wearing AirPods because I want to be able to hear everything still. And um, at least like for that sort of thing. And so I got those and I literally just started wearing them at all times being home. And I explained it to my husband, like I like got an extra 20% on my battery, like just Hmm. by having them in all the time, like, and I was not nearly as irritable. I was my, like, my, my fuse was so much longer, you know, like I just was able to handle and roll with things so much easier and um, just, just literally by having earplugs in throughout the day. And so those were like some of the kind of sensory things that I was really starting to realize. And then also at this time, like it was very interesting because as I was embarking on my first year as a BCBA as well, I really was trying to make sure that I was being very neurodivergent affirming in all of my um pro- uh, practice and everything. So I started following a ton of just like BCBAs, SLPs, you know, neurodivergent, like autistic, like all of the things and I kind of like definitely got sucked into like the like Instagram trend of ABA for a little bit, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny. I've come out like on the other side now and I'm like, okay, I don't need to say fucking ascent withdrawal for everything, you know, like whatever, (laughs) you know, um, and really quick, Haley, what was your
0: version of neurodivergent affirming? Like, how did you change your practice to embody that?
1: So the biggest thing that I tried to do was listen to those voices that I was seeing online and, you know, the big, like, hot button topics, right? Like, um, the biggest things, you know, like the eye contact and the physical prompting. And, and you escape know, extinction. The, the escape and, and escape yeah. extinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I don't – I. I know for a fact that eye contact is not physically painful for every autistic person. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting um, during my evaluation, however, is my neuropsychologist said that he he hasn't met a person with autism that doesn't have some sort of relationship with eye contact, which I thought was a Hmm. really great way to put it. And I was like, I get that because I feel like I do overthink eye contact more than the average person does, you know, but it's like not... I I explained it as it's something that means a lot to me, (laughs) I guess, which is kind of a weird way to put it. But anyway, um, and so like, for instance, a lot of my kiddos are conversational. I have, like right now I have mostly like elementary school age kids and then early intervention kids. I've got a couple of, and then I have two teenagers. Um, Okay. But so like for those that are conversational, I just straight up asked him. I was like, how do you, is eye contact annoying for you? Like, what do you think of that? Hmm. You know? And I just like, that's, that's the biggest thing that I, think I guess like I think that the biggest way that I practice neurodivergent affirming practice is just including my client in whatever I can like so sure. often I'll be in like an IEP meeting or something and they'll be like well what do you think that da 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 and like have you guys just asked them like that's a question they can answer you know and I'm yeah. like "He yeah, actually like he has really insightful responses for that sort of stuff you know he might be able to tell you what would be best for him you know and they're mm-hmm. like oh oh I'm like is this shocking? Like, okay. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I asked some of them, you know, how do you feel about this or that? And then, you know, for some of my like early intervention learners, for instance, that maybe aren't vocal or conversational yet, um, I, you know, like for instance, with like escape extinction, right? I, the way I write it in my VIP is, as I say, escape extinction without forced prompting. So I say that as long as the child is not basically doing this and pulling their hands away from you every instance that they're doing or like screaming and crying while they're doing it go Mm -hmm. for the physical prompt as long as they're not dysregulated basically or basically because Mm -hmm. you know obviously we have to physically prompt our learners to help them learn things sometimes I don't say to overdo it at any point you know and like um I have kind of pulled back on, um, like, I used to physically prompt, like, cleanup and stuff like that, you know, for, like, a transition, and I kind of toyed around with it, and I honestly realized that that was leading to higher rates of escalation for me with my clients, and so what I do now is, like I said, I'll do escape extinction without force compliance, and so I'll write in there, like, um, we want to... Try to follow through with the demand if possible. Um, If they accept your physical prompts, do them. But if they're dysregulated or not accepting them, we're going to wait them out. We're going to prompt co-regulation to try to get them to a regulated space while, um, you know, not letting them leave the environment. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're not going to like sit there and force and continue to be like, do this, do this, do this sort of thing, you know, and Mm -hmm. then Once they're at a regulated state again, then we can try to follow through with the original demand if it's still present or a related one, if it was kind of like a time thing, you know, Um, and that has been really effective for me with, you know, kind of like I said, the variety of kiddos that I work with. But I think yeah, I think it's just individualizing and really bringing their voices into it as much as I can and trying to honor all communication vocal and nonverbal, you know um like especially in the early intervention kiddos and stuff like that you know but sure I don't yeah I don't know I think that it's also like I ABA since I got into the field has always just really clicked for me like I've always just got my clients and that was another thing that like as I was seeking my diagnosis started to make more sense to me like and like there's even my therapist will remark on it sometimes that like I, there's just things that I get that they don't sometimes that like, I'm like, no, 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 mm. this is what they want. And they're like, oh, how did you even see that? And I'm like, I mm, I don't know. I just did, you know? Um, yeah.
0: So and, with, with uh-huh. your diagnosis, was there any part of you that doubted that you had autism?
1: No. So basically what happened with my diagnosis is I finally, you know, after the referral I got, um, I <laughs> it was really funny. I, you know, thinking in my head, ADHD, ADHD, ADHD. I Mm -hmm. make the appointment and it's about a month away. And the second I make the appointment, I go, I'm going to leave with an autism diagnosis. Like I just already, my brain was there. Like it just, it, it was there. And I, like, I talked to my therapist about it and everything. And, you know, I was like, I think it's just my anxiety. I think it's just my brain, you know, because I had, so accepted and told myself that it was going to be ADHD, that then my brain was, what I was telling myself is that it was trying to prepare me for the unexpected, you know, of like, well, it could be this too, you know, again, now realizing like, I'm just trying to pre-plan and script everything. (laughs) Right. Um, right. And um, yeah, and so I started kind of, and you know, again, I know what these questions are going to look like. They're going to need to know stuff from my history from being a child for either diagnosis because they're developmentally present, you know? And so I started just kind of thinking more and more um, about potential examples for things, you know? And as I was doing that, I just started to realize more kind of quirks I had as a kid. Like (laughs) there was one day I was sitting down at the dinner table before my diagnosis and I don't, I like turned and like, It's going to sound so weird, but I caught a whiff of, like, the top of my wooden chair that I was sitting on. And Mm -hmm. it made me remember that I used to chew on our wooden chairs (laughs) as a kid. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's not quite That's interesting. And, like, it was just more things like that. And then, like, realizing, you know, like... I remember my mom used to say that I had one of those like jumpy spinny things. And she's always told me that I don't know why it never clicked with me, but you, Haley, you just used to jump and spin in that for hours and hours. That was just what you love to do is just (laughs) jump and spin in that. And I was just like, okay. And then again, I'm like reframing it and thinking of it through like the ASD lens. And I'm like,
0: Oh, and so, started to come full
1: circle. Yeah. And so by the time like that month was up and I had my meeting, I first had my intake and I just kind of told the guy, I was like, you know, I, I saw a neuropsychologist who specialized in adulting, uh, not adulting, in diag- diagnosing autistic adult women specifically, because I okay. didn't want um to have anything missed. I listened to a lot of the Neurodivergent Women podcast, which I really love. That also helped me move towards seeking a diagnosis because they frame a lot of the traits through you know an adult woman's lens of like what it could look like and I was also relating with that more and more um mm-hmm. and so you know go through the process I had my intake told him you know this is kind of where I'm at I'm thinking this and this he had me fill out like five different assessments and then like the next week we had a three-hour um meeting i didn't do any formal testing or anything like that um it was basically we just i filled out all of the assessments and then it was like interview style we talked about things and basically um adhd everything ticked just even from the assessments and like even meeting me for the first time he was like yeah adhd is a no-brainer like i we got that hmm you know, lockdown. down. Um, and so I was like, okay, cool. And then what was interesting about the autism, it was so, you know, I know you're familiar with the diagnostic criteria, but just for people that aren't the way it's broken down is there's diagnostic criteria a and diagnostic criteria B criteria B is all of the sensory stuff, the repetitive um, motions, all of the special interest stuff, all of that sort of stuff. And I ticked everything for section B right away. But, I, he was like, I'm not sure yet about the, cause section A, sorry, is all of the social, emotional, um, social reciprocity, communication, all of that stuff. And so he was like, you know, talking with you now, like, I, I don't for sure see these, but I've also, like, some of the stories you're telling me are raising enough red flags for me that I'm like, I kind of want to keep going. And I was like, mm-hmm. let's keep going. So, um, it just kind of became a lot of um, me really storytelling of similar instances. Like I told you of like deeply offending my friend and stuff like that. And like sure. um, just all of the social cues that I didn't know that I've had to learn from trial and error along the way, basically. Um, and also that really um, it, it impacted my work life a lot. Like I had to learn a lot of trial and errors professionally as well of just like things, conversations that you have that you don't share with other colleagues that most people know about that I did not and things like that. (laughs) And um, so it was after talking about that sort of stuff for a bit, he goes, all right. And yep, we have checked all the boxes. (laughs) I was like, like, yeah, I kind of was feeling like that might happen. And um, it was funny. He told me that I belonged on his Mount Rushmore of masking. He I One other female that he diagnosed was ever, like, the only other tricky, as tricky of a case as mine, he said. and Tricky
0: meaning difficult to discern, and... I think,
1: yeah, he was saying, because basically what he was saying is that due to where I'm at in life now, and, like, I've built up such a mask, and I've learned through, like I said, kind of trial and error, so many of these kind of, like, social faux pas and stuff like that you know and I explain Mm -hmm. it kind of like I'm like oh filed that one away not to do that one again sort of thing you know um that it was yeah it was harder to discern but it was interesting even like as I was talking with him more because we spoke for about three hours like Mm -hmm. um I noticed like my mask start to fall down even a little bit as I was talking with him more because my tone of voice like changed um like towards the end and I didn't realize for a second and I was like oh this is like my actual tone of voice, like this is like I talk very monotone and like just kind of like if I'm just sitting at home with my husband, like I'm just kind of talking like this and I'm just like not oh. the most animated person in the world. But like when I, you know, when I'm meeting people and all this stuff, like I just this is what I am, you know. does it <clears> some are you? Is it something that you're consciously aware that you do, or has it become I something am that now? Just- okay, it's starting to become, and that's kind of where I'm kind of what I'm trying to become more consciously aware of. So um, yeah, it was funny. We kind of left the call by him saying like, and now be ready for everybody you ever tell to tell you you don't have it. (laughs) That was going to be
0: my next question, Haley, Mm -hmm. is is, I don't know if you would be offended by people who would say something like, look at your robust language. You have a husband, Mm -hmm. you have a child, you have a professional career. How the hell do you have autism? Is yeah. essentially.
1: <laughs> I'm not offended by it because I definitely understand that it comes from a place of uneducation. Um, you know, hopefully not purposeful ignorance. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but, um, you know, we. That's one thing that I do like about the um, autism awareness, acceptance, whatever you want to call it, movement, is that Mm -hmm. it's helping educate people about the full spectrum of autism and helping them understand that it's not just those severely, severely impacted non-vocal individuals and that, you know, there are, you know, there are those of us that have able to been able to make it through life and you know, <clears throat> it was just a lot harder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. than it might have been for some other people. But I'm not one that, like, you know, I'm not one of those that's immediately offended by like, you don't see my hidden struggles and da-da-da. I'm like, I get sure. that I might not look like your typical presenting autistic person. I understand that, but like, mm-hmm. here, let me show you how I am. <laughs> um is that something that you
0: share with families you work with or does it just kind of come up as you see fit
1: um I have shared it with the families that I work with um when I first was diagnosed I was excited to share it with most of my families um again I I try to cultivate just a very neurodivergent affirming um practice and so like I helped one of my I I mean I kind of did it but one of my families she asked um I was working with the mom of a seven year old, and he still didn't know he was autistic. And he had so much internalized shame and frustration about himself, because he couldn't do what other kids were doing. I was Mm -hmm. like, Mom, like, he needs to know, like, he needs to know that this is why and that there are some answers, you know, and so, like, I helped explain it to him and helped tell him that. And it was so funny, he, um, because I was, (laughs) I told him, you know, I know you've had a really hard school year and you know I just wanted you to know but that like there's a reason that you know that some of these things have been harder for you and it's cuz you just your brain is just a little bit different than other people's you know and so you know it's you know sometimes these things are going to be harder and it's it's just it's not always your fault you don't have to be so hard on yourself you know and <laughs> he goes So does that mean nothing's ever my fault? And I was like, no, (laughs) you are still responsible for the actions of your consequences, but we recognize that sometimes it's harder, you know, for you Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it was just really funny. But yeah, like I, when I told one of my kids um, that I had autism, um, his first response was, is that why you work so good with me? (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. Maybe. <laughs> yeah.
0: I um, mean, I imagine that there are things that you understand and you have mm-hmm. insight that someone like me, I don't have autism, like that, those are things that I will never understand about right. certain people that do have an autism diagnosis. But mm-hmm. I just find it interesting that um, you brought up this child having kind of internalized shame. Mm-hmm. Was he? explaining this to you in the sense of i can't understand why i'm not able to do these things or Mm -hmm. or, okay so it's pretty clear that
1: yeah he's very highly intelligent and he um he he's just really hard on himself and he you know like he was struggling he goes to a very prestigious school as well um and he you know like for instance um like that school year, for instance, like there were just little things like he like offended one of his best friends because he told her her penguin drawing didn't look like a penguin. And I'm like, yeah, because it probably didn't to him, you know, like not that big of a deal, you know, but he, sure. you know, and he also he's he he's ADHD as well. And he's got that really short ADHD anger fuse. And so he's explained it to us as, you know, because he can get really aggressive and um mm. He's explained it to us as, you know, his his brain just goes black and he doesn't he doesn't try to he doesn't want to. But that just happens. And so we've talked a lot about how, you know, sometimes the emotional part of our brain can really take over. And that's when Mm -hmm. for him, like that's when he kind of goes black out and kind of relating it back to this whole battery thing the like, it's been so helpful for me with my kiddos, because the the thing I mean, everybody gets phone technology now. And I just the thing I try to tell them is, um you know, it's fine if you get upset, it's fine if your battery is running low. What I really want you to try to do is give me that 20% low battery warning. If you can give me Mm -hmm. that, I can help you before we're at zero, but if I don't have that 20% low battery warning and we just go zoop and we're done, then it's going to be a lot harder for everybody else. So we're just working a lot on like those with, cause I have a couple kids with those sort of, um, issues of, you know, trying to check in with our body, trying to be more aware of, are our, our triggers, trying to, um, you know, use regulating strategies that work for us. Um, and then, you know, when they don't work, we work through the behavior and then we talk about it afterwards. And, uh, you know, like <sighs> I had a kid the other night that had probably a 30 minute big outburst over me trying to um, have him do a new entering the clinic routine um mm. he has not he cannot go to his after school program anymore because he was struggling with being there and so you know one of those things is you know routines and stuff and so I was like you know we're going to do this and i as soon as i even just said the word routine like it triggered him he was not happy he was already getting really upset and like he was like, you know, just all of his signs. And I was like, I, you know, I see that you're getting really upset right now. Can we talk about this? If, you know, I'm happy to compromise on the routine, you know? And it was one of those, it was so interesting because you could see when, that blackout happened for him because he was trying so hard to articulate it to me. He was like, I was like, I, I see that you're stressed out right now. I see, I hear you. He was like yelling at me. And I was like, I hear that you don't want to do the routine. I was like, what about the routine? Don't you like, cause I'm happy to compromise, you know, like, what can we, what can we change? And mm-hmm. he started saying how, you know, um, it's just you and everybody and the rules and the routines. And they're just, you just, just, just. And then he didn't have the words for it anymore. And then he exploded (laughs) and I was like, all right, but it's, it's okay. Like I was like, all right, right, the therapist is clearing our back room right now. So I'm just going to take you back there. And I, you know, physically prompted, kind of carried him to um, our back room where we had cleared it out and it was safe for him and everything. And, um, you know, he ended up having a whole, whole kind of like 30 minute thing. And um, it's interesting, you know, with me trying to practice more neurodivergent affirming stuff, you know, I didn't step in with immediately like, no, we're following this routine right now. We're going through it, you know, and I tried to give him that sure. opportunity to, you know, tell me what he didn't like about it, to compromise with me on it, you know, but, um, <clears throat> and he, he did, which was, you know, it was good because when he at, was at his full peak, he was at a state where he could not be re- reasoned with. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the thing is that like, when I'm trying to help regulate them again, is I'm trying to get them to a place where we can be reasoned with again, because there's no learning at that high, high escalation state. But if we right. can get even to like a mid escalation, escalation, then we can kind of learn and move from there. And so we utilized, you know, his Um, his calming strategies that have been working for him, which are not cut and paste for him. What works for him is being in the dark, being in a space by himself, having some fidgets, taking some deep breaths. He's allowed Mm -hmm. to yell and stomp and do his things. We try to, we're working on like not making threats and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, he's allowed to express his angry emotions. Absolutely. And we got to a point where he calmed down enough. And (laughs) I eventually just showed him the thing again. And I was like, All right, we're clearly not getting anywhere with a compromise, so we're just gonna move through this thing, okay? So we're gonna do it. And what I've been trying to tell you is, we already did the first thing on here. Like you haven't even let me tell you what the steps are. I think it's going to be a lot easier than you realize it's going to be. So look, the first step was just walk in the door, check, we're done. And then the next step I was like, look, did you see these new name tags that I had up front yet? And he was like, no, what name tags? And, you know, starts (laughs) following me around and then we go through the whole routine. It takes like three minutes. Oh. And what was great though, is again, like even though it took a longer time, I was able to get out of him some of the things that he doesn't like about routines and, he expressed that he thinks routines are boring and a waste of time, and mm-hmm. he said that um, he said that um, we should avoid making him do things that he doesn't like because it makes him uncomfortable at the clinic and I mm-hmm. was like, that is great insightful. Well, <laughs> thank you so much so. <laughs> No. <laughs> so,
0: so in those cases, where, where yeah. and this is where I've I've gotten quite a bit of blowback here, mm-hmm. is I think that I've seen a lot of clients who are that level of intelligent. Oh yeah, and <laughs> they understand exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And I've also spoken to um, autistic adults who say that I know exactly when it's an autistic thing and when mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get out of things. Oh yeah. So in the case
1: of a kid like that, when. I've had a kid straight up tell me, fine, because I'll see through his lie. And I'll be like, you're, no. And he would be like, fine. Sometimes I just say that so I don't have to answer the questions you guys ask. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I know. So tell me. But I'm like the first person to see through my clients that way in their life, you
0: know. Do you think we don't give enough credit? To them, like, do, do you think oh, that we're yeah. becoming a little bit too quick to say, oh, it's because they're neurodivergent versus mm-hmm. I think this is just a kid thing and kids lie
1: sometimes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, so- and that's the thing, though, right, is everything with autism is, is it, you know, because sure, anybody could have a few autistic traits, but is it intrusive or pervasive enough to be impacting your daily life? Yeah. Every Mm -hmm. kid lies, right? Every kid tells little white lies to try to get out of stuff. But is it to the point where the kid is saying that, you know, like one, what kind of lies are they telling? Like, are they saying that I can't answer that question because I didn't learn about that because I was getting bullied at school because I was da-da-da-da-da and this and this and this happened, you know, or... Like, you know, or is it happening every single time you ask a question that that sort of thing is happening, you know, like, then, yeah, maybe that's a little bit more intrusive versus, like, you know, any kid who is probably going to tell maybe, like, two to five lies in their day to try to get out of something, you know, versus, like, five lies an hour (laughs) trying to get out of
0: something. Do you worry, Haley, that autism is being overdiagnosed or do you not think that that's concerning?
1: I... I don't know. So I don't, I don't necessarily worry that it's being overdiagnosed. I remember um, my senior year, I did a class, uh, presentation in one of my health classes about autism and like the prevalence and all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I think that the main reason for the rise in diagnoses is due to um, more understanding and awareness of the um, diagnosis itself also you know there are a lot of adults seeking diagnosis now but like and if you look back though it's like there weren't you know first of all the asd wasn't until dsm-5 in 2013 and then you know like a lot of my family members for instance like you know just family members will say um you know we Like, like I said, my family is pretty full of like what we would all kind of think are neurodivergent individuals. And even, you know, we can have discussions now and be like, oh, yeah, if if the diagnostic stuff would have been around back then or if things would have been around like that in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we probably would have caught it or it probably would have been diagnosed. But now they're a grown adult, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I feel like those that are more severely impacted that made it through into adulthood without a diagnosis are going to be less likely to seek an adult diagnosis because Mm. they are probably not either going to be cognizant or self-aware enough of some of those things, or there might be some denial factors in place, you know? Um, And so it's interesting, you know, because I, that, you know, like, kind of like you and Matthew were talking about before, but it's like Mm -hmm. all of these less impacted, voices that are becoming the you know I always like to say the loud minority because I don't think that you know like it's a very small subset yeah and they're like becoming this voice for everything you know but I think that the rise in diagnosis makes sense as we learn more about it you know um and I think that it's becoming more and more known that autism is a largely genetic thing and so you know it's one of those where if you're coming in as you know maybe like a you know a 20 30 or 40 year old parent and saying hey I think my kid has autism they're not the first generation of your family to have autism you know that they're just very very likely not at least you know I can't make overall statements but you know so like it's thinking about it like that. It's like how many family trees of undiagnosed autism is there? It makes sense that we're seeing a rise in it now, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how it makes sense to me, at least. Makes sense in the sense,
0: makes sense in the sense, <laughs> it makes sense to the degree that we see it more in the media or more mm-hmm. people are talking about it or... I guess where I get really concerned with this is some people equate acceptance or awareness with TikTok, let's say. Yeah. And I, I also worry that sure, it comes across as being aware, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's hard to measure awareness and it's also hard to try to parse out who is diagnosing themselves with autism after seeing something on TikTok, who is well, going to speak so out of diagnosis. Say, I
1: don't think that um I, there was one thing that Matthew said that I totally agree with, which is, or maybe it was you, but when you guys were talking about self-diagnosis and it's like, what, why would you be comfortable stopping at self-diagnosis if you didn't have a doubt in your mind? Right. Mm, And so, um, I understand the people who, you know, have more loopholes to jump through or stuff like that, you know, and I get that it can be a difficult process,
0: but I don't really
1: understand just deciding to stop at self-diagnosis and that's it. You know, Um, I also feel like, you know, if you are somebody who's going to proclaim self-diagnosis, you need to make sure you're actually doing your due diligence of research, heavily looking into mm-hmm. the DSM-5, looking into, you know, like, you know, maybe um, even like autism online tests are pretty stupid, but, you know, like trying to do more than just saying, oh, I like these t- People. I have autism mm-hmm. too. That is that not reminds a me of <laughs> me. Yeah, that is <laughs> right. not a self diagnosis whatsoever. Um, and like that's just you saying you relate to somebody, which is cool. That's great, you know. But mm-hmm. that's not a self diagnosis. If you're going to truly self diagnose yourself, like you know, go through the DSM, look at it, analyze yourself, analyze your behavior as a kid, you know, like all of that sort of stuff. But even then i would still expect you to be moving towards diagnosis but i get that it can be difficult even like for instance it sucks cuz When I got diagnosed, we were still on my husband's insurance, but he has since quit his job and just been doing childcare with our son. And I've been working full time and my insurance is not as good as his was. And, um, for the same neuropsychologist, he tried to go to him because he thinks that he, we think that he has ADHD and like maybe OCD. I was Hmm. pretty close to ticking OCD and I don't think that I met everything for it, but I am like borderline OCD as well. Um, And we tried to make the appointment and they were going to try to make us pay out of pocket because our insurance didn't recover, didn't fully cover the psychological Mm. testing. And so it's like, I get that those barriers happen and they're in place, but that doesn't mean that like, we're now just sitting here like, okay, well, he still has ADHD and maybe OCD, you know, like we're like, no, we're, (laughs) we're still trying to do the next step of, you know, whether finding somebody else or contacting our insurance or whatever it is, you know? Um, Yeah. So yeah, but I think that like the ex- I I don't equate awareness and acceptance with TikTok at all. That's not the kind of media representation I mean. I think that TikTok has I think that it has had its place in helping people see that there are other presentations maybe of different things, but I think that it has just grossly like overgeneralized into everything everything like people are like i woke up and took a shit today i guess i'm autistic like it's like (laughs) literally like what like i feel like they're just all of a sudden like anything i do is now a trait and i'm like that's not the case um but i do really like for instance um you know like i don't know if you've watched the show as we see it on amazon prime with rick glassman in it love him Great comedian. Watch watch his podcast. Tyso. He is also an adult autistic person, diagnosed late in life. Um, And um, so, one, I just I love love him in general. He has great um, insight on things, and I relate to a lot of stuff he talks about. But two, um, the As We See It show is a show. which showcases, it's basically these three autistic adult individuals living in like a home um, together that have a like paraprofessional of some sort, or like, you know, somebody coming into the house like once a day, and she's like a life coach for each of them. And she's helping each of them kind Mm. of meet their goals and stuff. But what's really great is all three of the autistic individuals that live in the home are actually autistic in real life and of varying degrees on the spectrum which is really cool so like rick glassman plays one of the characters and you know he's like less impacted you know kind of more you know i guess whatever whatever term you want to use high functioning less impacted whatever you know he's a successful comedian he lives alone like you were saying i'm like a mom you know people would be like uh I don't know. Um, so, you know, he's less impacted, but then there's another individual on the show. I believe his name is Alan in real life and he definitely is more impacted. He struggles some more with like some social stuff and even like his language prosody and like the way his like tone and cadence is a little off, you know? Um, and then the other gal on the show, um, she's, I would say kind of in the middle of them, which is kind of cool, but Hmm. the show itself is really great because they showcast, autism in such a fantastic way in the way that it can really adult uh, relate to young adulthood. Like the girl in the show, like just wants to be a girlfriend and have sex and do all the things. And that puts <laughs> her in some really bad situations because she is easily under the influence and stuff like that, you know, and like, you yeah. know, one of the other guys, like his big goal is to walk to the corner store by his house because he has such severe agoraphobia. And it's like, just such a beautiful way to showcast all of it. And, you know, like Rick Glassman's character is like trying to learn to be more autonomous and independent on his own because like, you know, what about when parents are gone and stuff like that, you know, and so like that's the type of media representation that I love and that I'm here for and that I want more of the way that we can yeah. really show this is what living with autism is like at all different ages, at all different degrees of the spectrum and all of that kind of stuff. TikTok is not media representation, that's just anybody who has a phone posting what they want, and yeah, and glamour, and you know, all of that sort of stuff, so... I'll have to look yeah. at that show. I, oh I always love so shows good. that kind of
0: have a better, uh, a so more good. realistic representation
1: of what things oh, are. I, I don't know if you're a crier, but I cried watching it many times. I'll, I'll send you, you know, uh, the link to some of his podcasts too. There's um, He did a podcast with the three or with the two other characters from the show as well. And so they talk about their like real lived experience with autism, all three of them, which was oh, also cool. really cool. So yeah. I'll send you a link to that.
0: Yeah, we could tag that in the show notes. And mm-hmm. as we wrap up here, Haley, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on, your insight. I always love talking to people who who want to come forward and kind of share their experience and yeah. the saying, those super cliche saying if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And it's so accurate I've just talked though. to so many it's so accurate. I mm-hmm. mean, everyone has their own different, very wildly different interpretation. So thank yeah. you.
1: Of course. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm happy to share my experience happy to share whatever is helpful for you and the listeners and just you know anybody out there i guess
0: (laughs) thanks Haley. well i appreciate our continued conversations and thank you so much again
1: thank you yeah not a problem anytime i'm happy to chat (laughs)
0: awesome awesome